0: Welcome to the IC Disc Show. Interviews with business owners, industry leaders, and tax experts, sharing how the IC Disc can benefit your bottom line profits. Check out the show notes at icdischow.com. This show is brought to you by the IC Disc Alliance. Discover how the premier IC Disc consulting firm supports you at icdisc.com and by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Dave Spray.
1: Hi, this is David Spray, and welcome to another episode of the IC Disc Show. My guest today is Laura Steese, a CPA in one of my favorite cities in the world, San Diego, California. Laura has a really unique tax practice where she really focuses more on planning. And implementation rather than compliance now her firm does the compliance but in her experience it's the planning and maybe even more importantly the implementation of the planning in which there's a big gap in the marketplace so this is her focus mostly on entrepreneurs and we had a really interesting conversation around the things her firm does that differentiates it from other firms and their hyper-focus on planning and implementation. So there's a lot of great takeaways here, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Laura, welcome to the podcast.
0: Oh, Dave, thank you so much for inviting me today. I can't wait to have this discussion with you.
1: Uh, well, you and me both. So I'm, a, I'm an accountant by training, so I'm kind of a chronological or learner. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Are you a native Californian?
0: I am not. I actually grew up in Illinois. I came to San Diego when I was 18 years old. I was in the Navy, and I was doing a job in the Navy that's completely different from accounting. I was a gunner's mate. So, really? I specialize. Yes, I specialized in gun systems. As a matter of fact, I was in the Navy back in 1979, 1980 when they were first testing combat positions for women. And I was in one of the pilot programs. I was the first woman in the country to go to advanced training on the 5 inch 54 Mark 45 gun system. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty interesting little jog there in my life. But you know what? The best part of it, not being in the military really gives you a lot of good foundations, discipline, organization, et cetera. But what it really did for me was it confirmed for me what I wanted to be. I thought I wanted to be an accountant before I went into the Navy and the Navy confirmed it because, see, I come from a family of accountants. Oh, you do? Uh, I do. I have a hundred, there's a hundred first cousins in my generation, and about 30 of us are accountants.
1: No and, way.
0: Yeah, yes, way. And many of us that aren't accountants are in high math businesses, computer programming, computer analysts, and scientists, and really? even mu- musicians, because mu- music is high math. So, yeah, I just come from a mathematically inclined family.
1: Wow. Now what uh, what was the thinking behind, you know, going into the Navy, you know, taking that detour and just uh, instead of just starting right into college?
0: Well, I was only 17 when I finished high school and I really just wanted to make sure before I went to college what I was going to do. So kind okay. of like in, in Europe, you know, people do gap years. Well, I decided yeah. to do 4 years in the military and just do something completely different. Now, working on gun systems at that level, they are computerized, so it is about high math. What it did confirm to me was that I didn't want to go into a field like engineering. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, that is really that is really interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We do we tend to go down these really interesting forks in our lives, don't we?
1: Sure. So what would What's the greatest impact that you can think of today that the military gave you, you know, several decades ago?
0: The most positive thing about the military is the bonding that goes on between members of the military. It really is quite intense when you think about it, that people could be going into at a moment's notice, could be going into combat positions where they might lose their lives, um you have a tendency to have very strong bonds with the people that you're working with and sure. that is definitely the case i have friends to this day that were uh part of my teams uh from the very beginning Oh, and wow yeah yeah that bonding has never left us
1: so i guess it was mostly men then i'm guessing just because of the numbers since you were
0: uh, first yeah it was all men. I was the only woman in my group, in my team. And actually, that was quite easy for me because I grew up with seven brothers.
1: Oh, okay. So you knew how to just give it right back to them, huh?
0: I did. <laughs> I did. And, you know, one of the advantages to having seven brothers is I grew up pretty fearless.
1: Okay. Yeah. Oh, because you always had one of them to back you up.
0: I was always, no, I was right in there with them.
1: Oh, I see. You were kind of like a tomboy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was. Now, were you the only girl in the family?
0: No, I have two younger sisters. Okay. I am the oldest girl, though, with five older brothers.
1: Okay. Wow, that's a good, that's almost a football team's worth of siblings.
0: Yes, it is.
1: (laughs) So, well, and the last note on the military. So thank you for your service.
0: Oh, thank you very much. It was my honor.
1: Ah, So then you found yourself up in San Francisco, I believe.
0: Yes. After the Navy, I had decided to go to college and I had started in Illinois. I had gone back to Illinois right after the Navy. And quite frankly, after being in San Diego, I couldn't handle the weather. Um, So one of my Navy roommates grew up in Mill Valley. And so I moved in with her and started going to school in San Francisco, graduated from San Francisco State University, and then went on my way to do the required work that I had to do to become a CPA. But I knew that I wanted to be a CPA in public accounting because I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur from the time I was about seven or eight years old, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Because this is the interesting story. My father always counseled my brothers and told them stories and always said to them, you need to be an entrepreneur, you need to be a business owner, you need to be in control of your life, and not working for somebody else. Because growing up in Illinois, you're growing up in a very union type of organization with very large companies. And a lot of our community worked for those large companies and had to put up with the bureaucracy that comes from large companies. My dad Mm -hmm. always said to everyone, all of my brothers, You've got you've to be in charge of your own life. Now, that's not the message he was giving to me. The message to me, I grew up in a Catholic family. The message to me was, you get married and you have more children. But mm. see, my mom was the one giving me that message. But I listened to my dad. And funny, ah. thing, is, funny thing is, none of my brothers listened to my dad.
1: How ironic.
0: Yes. To this day, I have one brother that does not recall a single time our dad gave any of those messages.
1: Isn't that interesting?
0: Yes. You grow up in the same house and you hear things and see things differently, even though you're both in the same room at the same time. So I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and that's where I went.
1: Wow! So I actually was born one state west of Illinois. The other st- state that starts with an I that would be Iowa. And it's funny because people that aren't from the Midwest confuse Iowa, Idaho, and Ohio. They like think they're all the same place. And uh, and sometimes Illinois. Sometimes they're confused about like you know what Illinois is. Because I think people like not from the Midwest. Some people just don't get that Chicago is actually in Illinois. They just think it's I don't know somewhere else.
0: <laughs> it's almost the state, the size of its own state, I, isn't it? I,
1: I, I know. <laughs> in fact, a good childhood friend of mine went to work for Caterpillar in Peoria, Illinois, and he spent his whole career there. So I have a sense of what you mean by you know being that you know lifetime employee. That yes. gets you know
0: caterpillar was in the town I grew up in in Aurora
1: okay oh yeah I yeah. know where Aurora is
0: yeah it was one of the largest employers in Aurora
1: so you finished up at San Francisco State you did your tour of duty to get your, what, 4,000 hours of experience? That's what it was in Texas.
0: (laughs) It feels like that. (laughs) You have to do two years and 500 hours of audits, which are not fun. I was under the old licensing requirements, so you had to do the audits. Not fun. Um, Audits are just, you know, very much an adversarial relationship with your clients And they're just not the most fun place to be. But it was one of those things you had to pay your dues at that time. Licensing has now changed, but at that time, you had to pay your dues.
1: Yes. I started my career at Arthur Anderson in Houston in the audit practice. And if I could go back and do anything over, it would be to have gone into the like entrepreneurial advisory tax department Mm -hmm. where I would be working with you know, small businesses because that's you know, where I ended up gravitating to. The reason I know it was four thousand hours was I worked at Anderson thirteen months and I had enough hours to be certified.
0: Wow. wow.
1: That was the that was the, the 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 fun of being at a large firm that just really worked you hard.
0: Yes, they did. And they burned a lot of people out.
1: For sure. So you were got into public accounting and then did you come back to San Diego right after you graduated?
0: I did. I came back to San Diego, worked in a couple of firms during that time period where I had to get my experience. Then finally you know, got my CPA license and then not too much long afterwards, I opened my own firm in partnership with someone who had been a mentor of mine. And we were partners for 17 or 18 years, and he passed away. But during that time period, we had hired the woman that is my current partner. And okay. so Marnie and I have been together for about 20 years now. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's the Walker in mm-hmm. Steve's Walker.
0: Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're two extremely different people, but we have a common value system, common goals. We have two completely different ways of getting to what we're working on, but we always get to the same place, which is very interesting. And the best and the easiest part about it is that we both give each other space to do it in our own way. Um, for example, Marnie is a very heavy data gatherer, whereas I am heavy as a quick starter. So those that are listening to the call and they don't understand what a data gatherer and a quick start is, these are Colby profiles. So Colby, the K-O-L-B-E is about your cognitive abilities, just your natural abilities of who you are. Mm -hmm. And we all have unique profiles and Marnie and I couldn't be more opposed in our profiles, but we recognize that in each other and allow each other the space to pursue things in the way that fits best for us.
1: Yeah, like Marnie, I'm an eight fact finder. So I assume you mean fact finder, right? You yes, just yes. Fact. The generic term yes. for those who weren't familiar with Colby.
0: That is correct. It is called fact finder in Colby. We call it data gathering here in accounting because that's what we do: is gather lots of data.
1: Sure. And sure. so
0: we tend to refer to it in that way as a data gatherer. But you are correct; Colby identifies it as a fact finder.
1: mm Hmm. And uh, you're like the uh, geez, at least the fifth entrepreneur I've talked, I've interviewed this year, who female entrepreneur, female partner, all female team. And uh, is your team all female too?
0: It is. Not because we planned it that way, but because we just kept meeting really dynamic women that we wanted to work with and that the team has just grown around. And it, you know, it wasn't on purpose. It just kind of happened that way that the right person that was being put in front of us happened to be a woman.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I, I've decided to be on the front end of this trend that the women are taking over the world. So I've decided to just mm-hmm. embrace it and celebrate it because it's crazy. Like, aren't like 60% of incoming college students female? It's some uh, yeah. crazy number, yeah. whale over
0: 50%. It's a pretty large statistic. That is correct.
1: I guess all those video games just killed the attention span of all those boys growing up or something. I don't know what's <laughs> going on.
0: Well, being the mother of sons, I recognized in my sons that they needed a little more time before they settled into something. So the incoming college freshmen might also play into the issues of young men going off and maybe taking what in Europe they would call the gap year. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm, you know, my sons, it took them a little bit longer to settle into what they wanted to do. So they went to school a little bit later. They didn't go straight from high school.
1: Well, and that worked out for you.
0: It worked out for me because when they did go to school, they went on things that they were really passionate about.
1: Sure. Yeah. Better to skip that flunk out freshman year and then waiting tables for two years and then going back.
0: Exactly. Might as well just
1: skip all of that. So so let's dive into your firm. So how do you describe what makes your firm different than a typical tax firm?
0: Very distinct differences for us because most people that when they hear about a tax firm, they're thinking about people that are doing tax preparation. And while we do tax preparation here, it is not where we start. We start with tax planning. And I make a distinction in tax planning from that of most firms. A lot of firms will say they're doing tax planning, but really all they're doing is a tax projection. And right. a tax projection means that they're calculating what you owe. Whereas right. To make sure our, you've made
1: enough estimated tax payments.
0: Exactly. Whereas our firm takes an approach where we're in their meeting with our clients far ahead of that and purposefully putting strategies into place to reduce their tax bill, because our mission is to increase our clients' net worth. And we start that by cutting their taxes. And it's not just cutting your taxes per se, it's about being tax efficient in everything that you do. So we actually start out with an education program. We refer to this as our best practice series. And what we do is we start from the very beginning and review with our clients all of the deductions that they're entitled to. You know, the IRS is really strong on telling everybody about you have to report all of your income. And so much of the reporting that, reporting requirements that are out there, like 1099s, W-2s, mm-hmm. etc., are about reporting 100% of your income. But they don't really do anything to encourage you to take all of your deductions. As a matter of fact, there is no requirement to take all the deductions you're entitled to. You are right. only required to report all of the income. Hmm. So yeah, we- it's
1: almost like it's almost like the IRS is more focused on maximizing their collections than helping their customers. Right.
0: Well, that isn't their role. Their role I isn't know. to help you be at the lowest tax bracket possible. Their role is to make sure that you report all of your income. Right. Yeah. So it is in it is the responsibility is put on the taxpayer to learn How what you can deduct and what you have to do to be able to deduct that. So while there's a lot of deductions available to you, there are also compliance requirements with every one of those deductions. And Mm -hmm. people always say, compliance requirements, what are you talking about? So as an example, if you're going to claim auto expenses, you are required to keep a mileage log. And Mm -hmm. so the mileage log is your compliance exercise that you have to go through. And so not only do people not know what they can deduct, they don't know what the compliance requirements are of what they're deducting. Another example is people think, oh, I have a credit card statement. That's all I need. No, it's not. You have to keep the receipts. Right. So the credit card statement alone does not support the deduction. And people just don't realize that. And I have people coming in every day telling me, oh, yeah, I just throw away all the receipts. I, I have the statement. That's all I need, right?
1: Wow. And It's no fun yeah. giving them that news, is it?
0: Especially if they're under examination.
1: <laughs> oh yes, especially, then.
0: <laughs> yes. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to do a lot of preventative things and people will say but what's the probability of my of getting audited? Well, you know, it's not about the probability of getting audited, it is about you being able to sleep at night knowing right. that you did it right and that if you are selected for examination, you know that you have your paperwork in order. Yep. So you have peace of mind and that's one of our main goals is that helping our clients have peace of mind.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's an important, that's an important thing. And I believe you have a, is it a book, a guide, or is it more informal? Don't you have like over a hundred different ways that a, like an entrepreneur or real estate investor can save money on their taxes that you've kind of compiled all of these different uh, available
0: options? Yes, Yes, we do. We have compiled all of the different strategies. All of the strategies don't work for everyone. So what we do is we handcraft a plan for our clients. And then where we go to the next step, and most firms miss this, is we handhold our clients through the implementation of the steps. We have a very systematized process here to make sure that our clients are doing all of the things that they need to do to have their compliance in order. For example, some strategies require a contract. Some strategies require the filing of an information return. So everything has different requirements. And so we have a very systematized process for making sure that our clients are in compliance with those strategies. And the reason that we systematize it so heavily is because we have a philosophy here that if you systematize the 90%, you can humanize the rest. Okay. And really, that's what we're trying to get to with our clients is humanizing the process. And why are you even doing this to begin with? Why are you in business? What is it that you're trying to achieve with this? Because we're not here because we're trying to just make money. We're all here because we have some other goal, some bigger goal. And is the business that you're doing fitting in with that bigger goal? And if it's not, let's make the changes.
1: No, I like it. I like it. Well, I love stories. And do you can you think of some examples? And obviously you'll you'll keep them anonymous, but maybe think of because our listeners tend to be entrepreneurs, maybe think of two or three entrepreneurs you've worked with over the last few years that maybe you can tell a story of, you know, how you came to know them, like what their pain point was, you know, how you were able to help them. I'm just looking for some examples so our listeners can say, oh yeah, that person sounds like me. I should give Laura a call. Do uh, some examples come to mind?
0: I have so many examples to tell you about. So I'll tell you about a couple of key ones. So I had an attorney come to me about 17 years ago. And she said, you know, I know there's more, you know, I love what I'm doing, and I'm having a great time doing it. But you know, I'm getting older. And I know there's more to life than just working in my practice. So I've been giving a lot of thought to what am I going to do in the future. And quite frankly, I went through a period like that myself, where I had a lot of angst as to what the next phase of my life was going to look like and what it was going to mean. So anyway, she had been going through this thought process and what we did was we sat down and we started planning And planning doesn't come number one. It doesn't come in a vacuum It doesn't come alone. You usually have a team that you're working with And it happens over a series of years. So we started planning And we started making changes every single year And every year we started adding on more and more to her plan. Her ultimate goal was what would I need if to do if I ever retired? Now, David, you and I belong to a group where we all believe that we'll never retire. And really what retirement is, not doing what you don't want to do. And for us, that's retirement, but we have a passion for what we do. And there's a Confucianist expression that a man who has a passion, who lives in their passion and works in their passion that work becomes play and play becomes work. Mm. And that's the case with this woman. But what she wanted to do was get to the point where she knew she was financially independent. Her children were just in were in high school at the time and she knew that, you know, in just about 8 years it was going to be it was going to be her. And so we started a very specific plan and started moving forward and met every single year we met twice a year to review her plans review her budgets review the progress and within about seven years she had completely hit the requirements that she needed to retire
1: now she's
0: 17 years into it and she has added an immense amount of wealth to her portfolio by systematically and methodically having this plan And she's still working. Why is she still working? Because her son has come into the business and is taking it over. And all she's doing are the fun cases that she wants to do. Sure. And she's taking off as much time as she wants. She's continuing to enjoy everything that she wants to do. So one would say she's retired from doing the things that she doesn't want to do even Mm -hmm. though she still goes into the office and enjoys what she's doing. She doesn't work the way she used to. And her net worth is three times what she needed to retire.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, And that's all about planning because what happens is if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Sure. And that's exactly what happened with her. So I had another one that came in and we were having a discussion about some real estate that she was inheriting. And what she wanted to do was sell the property and buy a vacation property in Big Bear, And I said, well, why would you want to do that? Because what you're doing is you're just adding something that's an expense. I said, you know, real estate is one of those things that it's like a bunny rabbit. Real estate just produces more upon itself. And so instead, what she did was she took the property, did some 1031 exchanges into rental properties, generated enough cash flow to pay for the vacation property in Big Bear. Oh, wow. So, really, it's about just having that other person to give you another perspective, someone that doesn't have the emotion involved in your decision. So, the beautiful thing about mathematical equations is they are objective, they take the subjectivity and passion and emotion out of decisions. For sure. So that's where we try to benefit our clients. But at the same time, you know, we have this core value of love. And what we define love as is having a devotion to what we do, but also having a natural affinity for our clients. And within that, because we are an all-female firm, we make sure that we have healthy doses of compassion and empathy. And so that's what drives us in what we do.
1: Well, that is, uh, that is great. Now, are your clients all female too, or do you allow a few men into the mix?
0: <laughs> no, our clients come from every walk of life. And sometimes people say to me, oh, well, what's the size requirement for your clients? And we don't have a size requirement. Okay. We have an attitude requirement. So our clients are planners. And if you don't want to plan, that's okay. 99% of the accountants out there are just perfect for you. But we have this unique personality of being planners, and it's a requirement in our firm. So we only have clients that are planners.
1: Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It seems like it's so... Because we work with lots of CPAs that we you know, to serve our shared IC disk clients. And, you know, we're doing only the IC disk part. And I see that just over and over that there's just very little planning. And my theory on this is that the practitioner used to do planning. And then they had one tax season that they just were playing catch-up mode the whole year. And they just sort of lost the time to do planning. Because like in Texas, the final state returns are due November 15th. Right. So, right, if you're just playing catch-up mode all the way till November 15th, your mindset might be, okay, I've got six weeks to catch my breath before it all starts over again. Now, and not all those are like that. And in fact, many of the CPAs of our clients, you you know, they do a nice job on planning. But I see enough... That don't. And again, just like you described it, the tax planning are really tax projections, making estimated tax payments to ensure that you don't pay those onerous underpayment penalties.
0: Right. And we do that in October, November, and December every year. We run those calculations. So what we did in our practice was we made sure that we had specific months that were dedicated to specific events and specific things in our Mm. practice. So we have the tax season. We have three seasons. We have the tax season that goes until April 15th. And then we take a little bit of a break. And starting in June, July, and August of every year, we have our mid-year meetings with our clients. And so that's the time that we're really working on a lot of planning opportunities with our clients. And then in October, November, and December, we come back and we do all of the tax projections. So from January through the end of May, we're working on tax returns. Then June, July, and August, it's mid-year meetings. And then September we're cleaning up final items for tax returns that still needed to be finished. And mm-hmm. October, November, and December is tax projections. Yeah.
1: Well, that sounds like a, a sensible way to to run a practice if planning is really a foundational uh, value.
0: Right. And that way, we make sure we never miss this with our clients. So, our admin team is set up specifically to work on that schedule. So, during the month of May, while all the accountants are recovering, catching up on continuing education, going to our accounting conferences, etc., and sometimes we're just spending some time putting our head back onto our shoulders. Right. So, while we're doing that, the admin team is already queuing up the next cycle. And so in uh, right now, we're deep into the mid-year meetings. And then in September, while the accountants are finishing off the last of the tax returns that are on extension, the admin team will be working on getting all of the tax projection meetings scheduled. And so, because we set this up in a unique way, remember our philosophy is systematize the ninety percent, so you can human, humanize the rest. So our admin team is systematized in that, so we don't get the opportunity to be lazy about it. We're very specific about achieving that.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure that. Yeah, and I love your quote. I forget who first said it, that when you failed the plan, you plan to fail. That's so, right. That's right.
0: That's right. So another one that I always say is most people aim at nothing. And if you can imagine <laughs> like a bullseye, and yeah. the middle of it is your grand prize, but most people don't aim at anything, and they hit it with tremendous accuracy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I would imagine they I would imagine they do. So um,
0: if we take this out of a, an accounting concept and just talk about like your life in general, if you sit down and write a list, you handwrite a list of your 101 goals, places you want to visit, things you want to do, books you want to read people you want to spend time with, et cetera, et cetera, they find that just the act of writing it down, most people achieve a very large percentage
1: Isn't of that amazing? the
0: items on their list. And so I'm a prime example of that. I did my list 15 years ago, and more than 80% of the items on my list are done. I have actually achieved them, and I didn't open that list for 10 years.
1: I know that's crazy how that works. I can't tell you how many times. So, you know, we were both members of strategic coach and, you know, that's where we heard about Colby. And, and I'm always amazed at how many quarters, you know, I would have kind of my plans for the quarter and then I'd get sidetracked. I never looked at him again. And then the next quarter I'd be back and I'm thinking, oh no, I'm, I'm dreading reviewing my goals or, you know, seeing how I, how my results matched up. And I was always so astonished that even if I never looked at him the whole quarter, what a large percentage of them still happen. Because yeah. somehow the writing of it puts it in yourself, your subconscious, and your subconscious gets to work on it.
0: Yeah, and it might even be deeper than that. It might be your superconscious that ah. is working on it. Yeah, so it might be even deeper, the act of writing it down. So your subconscious is processing, and your superconscious... It must be processing at the same time. So, if you've hmm. not heard about the subconscious and the superconscious, there is a book out there. I can't remember who put it out. Dave, do you remember who put that book out about the three brains?
1: No, I don't.
0: Yeah, so we have our conscious, which is here with us today, our subconscious, yeah. which processes in the background, and our superconscious, which is kind of like the gatekeeper of everything.
1: I am not familiar with those concepts. I will have to investigate that further.
0: Yeah, pretty fascinating. Pretty fascinating.
1: Well, I have a couple follow-up questions. So, I was thinking about the first case study you gave me, the or maybe it was the second one, the attorney you started working with about 17 years ago, you know, helping her come up with a plan and, you know, reaching financial independence. Now, do you all do wealth management as part of what you do or did you coordinate with a wealth manager or, you know, kind of how do you all fit in with the team for your clients?
0: We don't, we're not active wealth managers by any stretch. We all have our specialties and I, I, However, I do have my securities license, and it allows me to have very in-depth conversations about those types of products. Because when we're doing our tax planning, there are four different strategies that we use. We use timing strategies which is deferring something to a later date, shifting Mm -hmm. strategies where we're shifting the tax burden to people or entities with lower tax rates. We use Mm -hmm. code-based strategies, which are strategies written specifically into the code, and we use product-based strategies. There are many products that are designed specifically for tax reduction, tax minimization, tax deferral. So there are some things... Like
1: like permanent life insurance, for example, like is that one of the...
0: Example, permanent life insurance might be a strategy. If you think most people are familiar with pension plans and pension Mm -hmm. plans actually use all four buckets at the same time. So Mm -hmm. you defer the taxes until a later year. You are shifting it. Hopefully the intention is you're shifting it to a later time when your tax bracket is lower. It's written into the code. It is a code based strategy. And pension plans use products to achieve the results. Mm-hmm. So, that is one that actually uses all four of the different buckets. But there are others that use only one, some that use maybe two or three. But it, so it's a mixture of those four different types.
1: Well, that is a really interesting framework to look at tax planning. I never really thought about it that way. It's like you've been doing this a while or something, Laura.
0: For about 30 years now.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, speaking of that, is we're I can't believe how the time is flying by. I've got a few more questions for you. One is if you could go back in time and give some advice to like your 25-year-old or 30-year-old self, What advice might you give to yourself with the benefit of of more life experience?
0: Oh, that one's a really good one. At 25, I was in the environment where women were competing in a man's world. Mm -hmm. And when I came to the point in my life, which was probably around 40, where I started to recognize that as a woman, I did not need to compete in a man's world. We are so unique. And there is room for uh, every type of personality, and I'm not saying that to bash men or anything. It's just the time period that I grew up in mm. when I embraced my uniqueness, which is about relationships, love with my my clients, uh, you know the, the all of my core values: knowledge exploitation, engagement, planning, growth, honesty. When I engage. It with who I am authentically, then it made it so much easier. So, if I was to go back to when I was 25 and give my 25 year old self that focus or that exposure, I would have saved myself a lot of time searching Mm -hmm. for who I am and what I'm I'm very clear on that now. But our Mm -hmm. younger selves are not always clear about that.
1: Sure. Yeah, that I would agree. It's with that hindsight, there's so much that makes more sense in hindsight than it does in the heat of battle.
0: Right. And it's not that there was anything wrong with, you know, what was going on around me at 25. It's just that's what was there. And I didn't know any other place to look for answers. And so I've, you know, I've been on this lifelong discovery of answers and, you know, what it resulted in is I am my true self and I am the best version of me. I am mm-hmm. the best Laura Sties in the world because <laughs> there isn't another one. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: that's And that's great because who was it that said, you know, you might as well be yourself because everyone else is taken.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And as young people, we don't always see that. And sometimes people spend more time judging themselves on other people's opinions of them than they do about just really celebrating who they are.
1: Yeah, who, uh, I forget this quote I heard from Dan Sullivan, and I, he, I know he credited it with some to somebody else, but I forget who, and that was that comparison is the thief of joy. And I found yes. that to be so true.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So that younger self was operating in this environment of comparison, comparing myself to mm-hmm. other scenarios, which weren't me. They, mm-hmm. you know, they just weren't me.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wish I'd asked you?
0: Oh, gosh. Not that I can think of. I think we've covered a lot of ground today.
1: We we have it that if if people want to reach you, I know you're on LinkedIn, do you do you accept LinkedIn requests?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And my name is Unique. If you run into anyone named Laura Stees, they are related to me. Okay. <laughs> so you can just select every Laura Stees out there or you know, I invite people to go to our website which is www.swc.cpa We have a ton of free resources there. So if you look in the resources, we've got a ton of free stuff, a ton of free information, and our blogs have a ton of free information. We really are focused on knowledge exploitation because we're focused on imparting knowledge to people and to share the knowledge and not hoard the knowledge. And through that, you can always reach me as well. But I do encourage you to go there and take advantage of the free resources that we have put out.
1: That, that makes sense. And your last name is spelled S-T-S.
0: That is correct.
1: Two E's. What's the, where does that name come from? What part of the world does that originate from? Do you know? Um,
0: Yes. It originates out of Germany. My ancestral grandfather came from Bonn, Germany. And in 1751, he pledged his allegiance to the King of England. And he settled here in the United States in Pennsylvania. Uh, This is why I have such a huge family here in the United States. So I'm a 10th generation American and anybody that wow. has a last name, both in the current spelling and the modifications of the spelling are relatives of mine. I have on 23 me, I have about 3,100 genetic relatives linked to me. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know, the family has had a lot of children in every generation. I come from 10. My father comes from 10. I had a grandfather that had 17 so, wow. Yeah, if you ever run into anyone with that last name, they are related to me.
1: Wow, that's really <laughs> that's really something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting story. But yeah, 1751, settled in oh, wow. central Pennsylvania. They left Germany for religious persecution.
1: Because they were Catholic?
0: No, Mennonite.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and there's that huge Mennonite settlement in central Pennsylvania still today,
0: right? There is. There is. And some of my relatives, my genetic relatives are not people that I know um, because they're far enough separated from me that I don't know them, but are still in the town that my first ancestor settled in, which is Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that interesting?
1: That is interesting.
0: Yes. So, you know, through our history, we have like civil war monuments that were dedicated to family members. And in Alaska, there's highways that are named after my third cousin twice removed. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So we have a long history in the United States.
1: That is, that is great. Well, this has really been fun, and I think our entrepreneurial listeners are really going to appreciate the planning approach that you bring to things, and, and I hope they will reach out to your website and take advantage of some of those free resources that you have. I hope so, too. Well, Laura, thank you so much for making time to sit down with me
0: today. Thank you, Dave. I appreciated it. I had a great time talking with you, as always.
1: Yeah, have a great day. You too. There we have it, another great episode. Thanks for listening in. If you want to continue the conversation, go to icdiscshow.com. That's ic d i s c. SHOW.com. And we have additional information on the podcast, archived episodes, as well as a button to be a guest. So if you'd like to be a guest, go select that and fill out the information and we'd love to have you on the show. So that's it. We'll be back next time with another episode of the IC Disc show.